There we are. We're back. So uh, welcome back to Mayor's Minutes. Uh, we've had a couple weeks where we haven't been here, so apologies for that. Uh, but we're back, and i got some fabulous guests today. Uh, but I want to apologize for the late start. That's on me. Uh, the mayor will be late for his own funeral at this pace. So apologies, but we've got a lot to get through, so I'm going to get right back into it. Uh, I am joined this week, just so you know, by Council Chairman D.J. Beauregard. Thrilled to have the Council Chair here. And our Chief Administrative Financial Officer for the City of Methuen, uh, Maggie Dupre. I didn't forget your name, don't worry. <laughs> so she looked at me and smiled. Uh, the mayor still has his cognitive facilities. So uh, for those of you that wrote in, uh, Linda Lambert and team, um, feeling much better. So I have uh, some additional corrective minor surgeries on the schedule, including one uh, late tomorrow. Um, but I'm feeling much better. So um, fingers crossed. Uh, i got to get my toe fixed tomorrow, and i got to get my hand fixed next week, and after that, it should be smooth sailing. So um, stay tuned. But getting old, it ain't easy, but it beats the alternative, right? So here we are. I'm going to do the COVID stats really quick because uh, the numbers are decent. Uh, they're actually worse than last week. Now, we didn't do a show last week. The numbers were down to uh, 38 last week. They're up to 50. So if we could do the slides quickly. There we go. These guys at MCS are great. Uh, I don't want to tell I give them the slides about eight minutes before we go on, and they always work the magic. So uh, this is as of April 6th today. So we're at 17,477 confirmed residents. If you're one of the math people, uh, divide it by 53,000 to give you the number of the population that have gotten COVID. The one caveat I'd say is, um, so one of the two weeks I missed uh, was because I had COVID, again, for the second time. So I don't think you can't get it. So I now have had three full boosters, uh, COVID twice, and I, I even got monoclonal antibodies given to me the last time. So um, for those of you interested, you can still get the boosters every Saturday at the loop through the month of April. Um, and you can get your first shot, second shot, third shot, and if you're in the right category, you can get the fourth booster. Um, so that's at the loop. I think it's 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Um, still having very small numbers go into the vaccination clinic. So uh, if you're interested, get out there and get it done. Uh, for you anti-vaxxers out there, I'm convinced that um, I would have been far sicker either of the two times I had COVID if I didn't have the three boosters. So like I say, every time I'm on the show, I tell everybody I love, get the vaccination. So 50 new cases, so let's go into the good and the bad. So the good, uh, the overall number of new, new cases just slightly increased, so not terrific. But uh, no deaths, no hospitalization, and most vaccinated individuals experiencing mild symptoms. Now, I want to put a caveat here. It says, uh, when we say going up to 30, 50, that's reported. Um, so let me take my case. I tested positive on home kit. Um, I called my doctor, and he said, well, we want to have a PCR done. And I went and had the PCR done. The PCR gets reported. The home test kits don't get reported unless you voluntarily uh, tell the state that you have it. So the numbers could be a little bit low, but still uh, nothing to worry about right now. Um, I want to remind you that we have lots of at-home test kits still readily available. And if you haven't gotten your uh, tube for a household from the city or... If you've only gotten two from the federal government, the federal government has given you more. Reach out and ask for them. And if you go to your pharmacy, I went and picked up one of my scripts at uh, CVS the other day, and the lady said to me, hey, do you need any uh, COVID test kits? I said, yeah, I, could. I got like six given to me, which was great. 
um, because they do expire over time, so don't hoard them and think you can use them in the fall for tests that you're getting today. Uh, good news uh, that in partnership with the City Council, again, we've got the spring cleanup schedule for 23 April between 9 and 11 a.m. I am going to talk about trash a little bit because I think we need, um, and I, I'm sure you agree, Mr. Chair, we need more than just um, multiple spring cleanups or fall cleanups. We need a, a different cultural approach to trash in the city. And then last but not least, tonight's a big meeting, and one of the reasons um, the council chair and the CAFO are here, we're going to be talking about the ARPA project, and I'm going to give you a little summary sheet, and then we're going to let the experts do the talking here. So we've got, by my calculation, $45.984 million to spend. Um, so I'm going to show you how that breaks out and just give you not, not all the projects because hopefully you're watching or coming to the meeting. Um, and so tonight the council is going to vote on what they think of the priority projects in the city. So I think that's a great process. Um, and we've got a lot of them. So Methuen is definitely feeling the death of a thousand cuts by, you know, 20 years of kind of letting things go. So good things to be fixed there. So that's good news. Not so good, our vaccination rate continues to lag below the state level significantly. And when I say significantly, over 2%. Um, you can still get PCR testing, but you have to call and schedule it. So stop the spread testing stopped on March 28th. Um, the gas prices, I won't get you too excited about that. We're feeling them on the city side, just like you are on um, you know, the, the consumer side. Um, I went to fill up my city vehicle at Hafner's the other day, and it was $88, and that's on the lower, and that was not for a full tank, and I was like, um, but I would tell you, you know, we'll be coming to city council probably the first meeting of May, um, you know, with the snow and ice budget, which we overran by $250,000, um, give or take, um, and the primary driver is not the storm. You sit out there and say, well, Mayor, why? Um, fuel, cost of fuel, cost of salt, cost of sand, all through the roof. Um, and I don't know, I saw the president on TV last week talking about food shortages. I say, why would you say that on national TV? People are going to go wipe out the markets now, right? And lettuce will cost $12 a head, you know? So um, anyways, um, and then trash, right? So uh, much like many of you, and I, I, I am seeing your emails, I am disgusted with the trash across the city. Um, and you know, this is why I say this, and I know the council chair agrees with me. We've got to do more culturally. We've got to create a program uh, that addresses the fact that we're one of the worst recyclers in the state, that we throw more trash out than almost every other city, um, and that still a fair amount of it ends up on our, our roads and our parks. And I told the story at city council the other night. We did the spring fall cleanup last year, and we had just left the Gaspy Park Two hours later, and I got a call, and people had gone back and thrown bags of food on the park. And so I've talked to the police chief, and um, forewarned is forearmed. So I've asked the chief and the officers to start finding litterers, right? Because we can't, we can't, we've got to create a culture that makes litter intolerant, right? And so uh, we need everybody's help to do that. And if you're sitting there saying, well, we need the DPW to clean up this, I get it when it's an occasional cleanup. Um, uh, each of us has to do our part, and that includes, you know, creating a household that is uh, functioning, recycling, and um, not throwing stuff all over the city, right? I've said this many times. I cannot 
understand a culture that makes it understandable, and, and I say this every, every Monday, Tuesday when I clean the stuff up my lawn, to take a bag from McDonald's and throw it out the window. That is unacceptable. So we've got to kind of teach that. And so we're going to talk about a little trash advisory committee that we're setting up. We've reached out to the schools. We're reaching out to you, the residents. And we want passionate people to get involved. So I'll come to that later. Let's go through the numbers quickly. Um, still uh, one chart where it's, despite the mayor's best efforts, the men are trailing the women. Uh, 9,300 women in the city have had COVID, 8,100 men. So a difference of some almost 1,200. Um, and that has grown over the uh, last spike in virus. When you look at by age, um, still, you know, the under 19, as you would expect, is the leader um, based on, you know, the time frame of them getting the vaccinations. Uh, but you see, it's, it's almost a two to one with every other category. And then last but not least um, is the uh, COVID chart for this week, the 50 cases and how they break down. You can see they were spread across all. So you had more in the 20 to 29 age group category than you had in the under 19. But you had a pretty spread. You had even some five over 70. The good news from my perspective is, despite the fact we had seven in the 50, the 59, seven in the 60 to 69, and five in the 70 plus, no hospitalizations and no deaths, and that's the good news. And that speaks to, um, you know, <clears throat> the virus being a little bit, while more people numerically are getting it, far less impact, right, from a severity. And so that's good news. I would tell you that uh, after I got it the second time, my daughter, who lives with me, got it the first time. And it, uh, even though she's had the vaccinations, it took a toll on her. She was out of work for a week and uh, feeling the fatigue uh, tremendously. So it's still out there. All right, I want to kind of pop over into and start with the opera discussion and bring my guests on board. But I made a chart that's really simple, and I want to explain this to the residents. So hopefully I don't screw it up. So here's, here's we have 45.948 million. And if I could toot my own horn for a minute, you remember that we were originally scheduled to get 9.9 .9 million, and then the mayor reached out to the governor, our state legislation, our senators, and they responded. And I reached out saying, how does a city like Haverhill get 50 million, and a city like Methuen, equally impacted by COVID, get 9 million? And the response was that they gave us 46.4 million. All right, so I'm pretty happy there. There's a couple different ways to look at this. I want to make sure people understand. Um, <clears throat> so compliance and revenue loss. So um, a number of projects were submitted. We hired, and you know, for those of you asking, what's the difference? We hired, as required, an outside auditing firm, Melanson, to kind of take a look at it with the guidelines for ARPA spending and tell us whether projects that we submitted were compliant or not. One of the... Um, caveats is the city has the option, and this is an option, to take what's called a revenue loss impacted by COVID of up to $19.45 million. So that what that means is the city council doesn't have to say, let's use $19 million in revenue loss. No matter how you slice it, what I'm trying to tell you here is there's $45.948 million to spend. $26 million could be spent on compliance projects. 19 million could be spent on projects that were originally deemed not compliant, but we could use the revenue loss clause. And that's based on the auditor's finding. Or, and I put approach there, the city council could decide to spend 45.948 million on compliance projects, right? 
And so every avenue in between there, because I have to put 53 different approaches. So city council could choose to spend $30 million on compliance projects and $15 million in uh, the revenue loss. So those are not uh, hard and fast numbers, if you will. The only thing hard and fast is you can only spend $45,948, right? So that's the decision. So there's a process that I really like, and hopefully you got to see it. <clears throat> so was it last week? Last week we had the department heads come and present to city council um, the projects that they kind of put forward. Um, and I'll give you an example. So um, one that, you know, a lot of us really want, uh, like Forest Lake or the tennis courts. So when our first came out, we were like, great, you know, this allows us to use that money to kind of help out there. Um, when we submitted those projects to Melanson, they said they're noncompliant. But you could use the revenue loss clause to do some of that work. So what I'm trying to demonstrate to you here is there's a, a 45.948 million is a hard and fast number that we can't spend over, but it can be split any which way in between on the compliance projects and the revenue loss projects, right? One way or another. The department heads presented, and I think they did an outstanding job presenting their cases. Um, and clearly one of the things we saw from a DPW perspective is definitely, you know, some neglect over time. You know, we've got projects, um, you know, like um, the Route 213 water main issue that are staggering in the potential impact. And why we wouldn't want to do them is beyond me, but that yoke is on you guys, the council. <laughs> so um, so th hopefully you get to see them. If not, please watch tonight. Even if you didn't, Watch the city council tonight because they're going to talk about each of the projects. And the great part is they're going to deliberate right in front of you the benefits to the top ten. And it's a great thing that each of the nine councils will probably have a little different level of priorities on certain things. But, you know, what the councilors, what the chair is going to go through here is they're going to weigh these top ten or top 15 or whatever the number is and determine what the priority projects are for the city of Methuen. And that's how we're going to spend our opera money. Right? These are all the things that, um, from a quality of life perspective, will probably do the most for you, even though, in some cases, you may not even be aware. Right? And I say that because some of the water sewer type projects are definitely things that we've got to step up to the bar and do. Right? So uh, I'm thrilled to have the council chair back on the show and the CAFO. And we're going to talk a little bit about the process tonight and uh, how you're going to go through it. So. Over to you. Absolutely. First of all, you deserve quite a bit of kudos, as you said, uh, relative to the actual amount that we ended up getting because we came real close to getting the short end of the yeah. stick. So yep. uh, thank you for that. You're um, yeah, we had seven hours worth of ARPA workshops last week, four hours on Monday night or Tuesday night, and then uh, another three hours the following night. And it was a really great opportunity for us to hear what I call the elevator pitches from the department heads where uh, they came before the council and one by one they outlined the projects that are on their priority list. And the thing that we run into with so many different priorities on that list, it's tough to really, I guess, go about the selection process in 
a way that's truly organized if you're working with so many different ones. Because we have, as you alluded to, $45.9 million to spend. We have all of these needs, so it's important to really uh, get down and, and develop that core priority list. So that's what the city council is doing uh, tonight. So uh, as a result of those meetings, every councilor received a worksheet where they'll put down the top 10 uh, projects in their mind. It doesn't be like in an actual top 10 order, but just the top 10 that they've selected and a score. So let's say you have the purchase of the school building at 9 Branch Street. You have the new DPW building that is uh, certainly in need. And all of these water and sewer infrastructure projects, you'll put down the name of the project and then an actual score. And we're going to see the city council's priority list come together in real time where each council will share those numbers, we'll tally them up, and right before our very eyes we'll see this list come together. And, you know, I think what's neat is we're going to have probably a lot of different priorities. I think we might have similarities, but for the most part, uh, what's going to be really helpful is when, you know, someone comes in with a project that might not be on many other lists where we have that variation. And uh, from that point, I think the process allows every counselor to have input. Uh, But more importantly, as part of the workshops, we had a public participation element there, too, to get uh, feedback from the public, but then uh, at the end of the day, what we're going to do with this list, we're going to present it to the folks at the uh, Department of Administration and Finance. And I know the CAFO is going to do the same thing on her end, just to add that added layer of oversight that I think will be helpful for us just to make sure we're on track. But uh, nevertheless, this is sort of uh, the idea to harness this process, provide some structure to it, and move the ball down the field. Yeah, I, so, I, I got to be honest with you. You know, we talk a lot, and there's oftentimes when uh, the mayor and our council members might disagree on certain things or approach to certain things. But i got to tell you, we're completely aligned on this because in my mind there's no fairer way to get to what are the best issues for the city to tackle and what priority to tackle, right? So, you know, while I may not agree with all the top ten choices, I, I, I love what you said. You know, each council is going to come in with a little different viewpoint or his or her, you know, um, critical needs for the city, right? And so um, I'm looking forward to the discussion tonight, and I hope you're going to tune in. Um, we're at 7 o'clock, mm-hmm. right? So I don't want to be late because, you know, I'm always late. So um, so hopefully you tune in at 7 o'clock and watch it. Now, Maggie, I wanted to kind of throw it over to you uh, because you've been working uh, kind of closely with um, uh, Melanson. I kind of got a brain cramp there. Mm-hmm. Sorry. It's old age. Um, so... And I wanted you to talk a little bit about that process, how it's been working. And then, if you could, talk a little bit about the, the Branch Street School Building and some of the steps that happened. I wanted the public to understand, you know, what we went through at Melanson, how we followed up, and mm-hmm. where we are now. So, so as far as Melanson goes, we, um, as projects came in to, to me from the different departments, uh, I would submit them to Melanson to get an idea of, uh, well, I gave them the information on, on what the project was, what it was for, what, who it was to support, et cetera, how much we were looking at. Um, and so they reviewed it, asked plenty of questions back and forth about the projects, um, and ultimately uh, they decided whether or not it fit into one of the four or three, I should say, eligibility buckets. Right. Um, if it did, they then provided which eligibility 
bucket, it, it did fall under, you know, what the requirements were for that eligibility requirement. Uh, and if it didn't, then they noted that as well. They also um, calculated our revenue loss replacement dollar amount, uh, which is a very in-depth, uh, complicated um, way to figure out what that number was. But uh, they were able to do that. That's been submitted to ANF. They've they've re- reviewed that number as well. Right. Um, and so we've been able, and then we've continued that relationship with Melanson as things come up, or the council has questions, or new projects. You know, just to clarify anything, yep. they've been uh, extremely helpful. They did come to one of the council meetings to answer council questions on the process, and so they've been very interactive as as we've needed them. So talk a little bit about Branch Street. And in, in so I want the public to know you know, where we are with Branch Street. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, there's so many moving parts to Branch Street. And, and so I want to explain, my position is, um, and I say this candidly, we need extra school space. Um, we have students in media centers. We have students in resource rooms. We have students in um, many closets across the city. And so uh, I'm convinced we need the space. How we fund that is an entirely separate discussion to me, right? Um, whether, you know, how much comes from ESSER, how much comes from ARPA, that's, that's for all of us to kind of decide. I think first we need to decide, you know, do, is this one of the priority projects that come out tonight? But talk a little bit about, you know, Melanson saw um, this is a, a compliant project, correct? Yes. And then so what steps did you take to follow up on that, if you would? With Melanson or the project in general? Project in general. So um, I've been working with the school department to um, try to make sure that we follow not just ARPA requirements, but also, uh, you know, procurement requirements yep. and, and following that process, which to purchase a building is, can be extensive. Right. Um, so first, I, I, you know, they had said that it was a turnkey building, and so I went out and actually viewed, as all the counselors and the mayor did as well, viewed the, the building because turnkey means something different to everybody, I feel. Yeah. Um, it really is turnkey. It's, yep. uh, it, was, it was very impressive with how, how far along uh, it is with what we need. Uh, we do have a critical space issue, and so I, you know, this, this does resolve that need. Yep. Um, so what we did then from there was have conversations between my department and the school department and the legal department as far as, okay, how do we move this forward appropriately, correctly, um, and in the time frame that we're looking for. And so uh, the first step, obviously, well, the, obviously the first step was to go through Melanson, make sure it was compliant, et cetera, um, and to go through um, the council process for ARPA. So it's, it's it, just like any of these projects, it's going through the process. Uh, the superintendent did her workshop piece. And uh, in addition to that, we have asked the council for approval and, and received approval for submitting um, the uniqueness of the property, which is really just a procurement term and allows us to move forward in the procurement process. Um, And so in addition, we brought forward uh, to council this week was to be able to get approval to move forward in discussions on on purchasing the building. And this is kind of happening in tandem with these discussions with ARPA. So any any conversations we're having are are noncommittal and really just to try and narrow in on, on where we're the dollar amount. Yeah, so I love that amount. you said that because um, I think one of the things the public needs to understand about the discussion the other night related to the school is um, the resolution was to negotiate a purchase and sale. And so you, you need to understand municipal procurement. Only the mayor can sign for procurement. But our 
uh, charter, our, our ordinances now say any contract over $25,000 um, has to go to city council. So let me explain what that means. If the mayor thought it was the greatest deal since sliced bread, and let's forget about the school building for a minute. Let's say I had uh, $26,000 worth of uh, stationery, supplies, to be ridiculous. right? If I had a contract for $26,000 worth of stationery, um, I am entitled to sign that for the city. The city is not committed to it until council approves that contract. And the reason I say that is because what I want the public to understand is there's two paths here, like with this school building. One is, uh, Maggie uh, correctly stated, is the opera approval process. Part of that will come tonight. Does the council think this is one of the priority projects? Subsequent to that, I would expect a discussion around the funding and how much comes from each bucket, right? On a separate path from that is the negotiation of the purchase and sale, and then even if the city, and by the way, the lawyers get involved in that, even if the city thinks it's a good deal, the administration, and we bring that, so that contract, whether it's $10 million, $8 million, or $26,000, it's going to come back to the council. The council will say, yeah, we want to spend um, $8 million, $9 million, whatever, $10 million, on the school building, ARPA, and take that vote tonight, and then come back if the purchase and sale, if it was not correct, if there was a higher price, they still have the option to say no, and the procurement doesn't happen. So I think, you know, a lot of times some of these steps aren't as transparent as they they would appear to be to those of us working in there. So I, I want to take the time to explain because to me there's multiple paths in each of these. You're going to see a number of DPW projects, um, most of them compliant, uh, most of them water and sewer related, and, um, you know, uh, I won't put you on the spot. I, the only one I'm praying to God that they absolutely do is the Lowell Street, Shirley Avenue one because that's a 50-year-old problem that we haven't been able to fix, and it's a multi-million dollar project. But I would tell you that each of these is, you know, so let's say I think it was like nine projects from DPW we had, all compliant and all significant spends. Uh, there will be a subsequent discussion because we have to commit to them by 24 and then we have to finish them by 26. Did I say that right? That's right. So, um, you know, on the DPW side, we're going to have to kind of schedule because there's projects all over the city. I said one for Route 213 through the rail trail, one for, you know, Lowell Street, Shirley Avenue, one for Riverside Drive. Um, you know, to me, it's, it's not clear that we could support all of them running simultaneously. I know we couldn't support them all simultaneously. So we've got to kind of work with the council. And I think one of the next steps is after tonight's meeting, when the council says, here's the priority, we've got to step back from an administration perspective and work with the DPW and with contractors say, okay, how would we schedule these? How would it work? Right? Which one is one with a bullet? We've got to start this now. And which one's next? So it's a pretty involved process. But uh, yeah, we did have the option for public participation, and I loved it. We had people come and talk about the tennis courts. We had people come and talk about um, various other projects, you know, the DPW projects. That was great to hear. Um, I wish we could get more people to come to the meetings for public participation. And I'll throw the in. So we're approaching the trash RFP that we're almost ready to bring back to the council. And I got to beg you again, you know, public, get involved here, right? Because we want a trash program that works for everybody. Um, 
And I've had some residents tell me, May, you're going too soft on this. Just lower the boom and, and you know, pick a program. And I'm hesitant to do that because it has to work. If it doesn't work, you guys are going to walk away from it. So I want you to be invested and understand, you know, the pluses and the minuses to every one of the trash RFPs, just like these ARPA projects. So um, hopefully more of you will come out to put public participation in the future because it's a great way to hear from you. Or submit a letter, right? You can submit a letter to the chair because mm-hmm. um, we're not in Zoom mode anymore. Right. Anything else, Council? There's one other thing I wanted to add. So, and you briefly referenced this, and I, I, it cannot be stated with enough emphasis. So when it comes to the, these ARPA projects, as pretty much every councilor has alluded to, and you as well, Mayor, it's really a once-in-a-lifetime windfall, this ARPA money, and it's an opportunity to make uh, a huge impact, an unprecedented impact. And what's fascinating about some of the presentations that we heard last week, I want to point to one, and that was DPW. Mm. So there are so many projects on that list. Residents would never actually see these things. Yeah. But they greatly impact things that we use every day, like, for instance, our water. Yep. I wanted to point out um, the Burnham Road pumping station. Yep. This was number one on Director Bauer's list, and he talked about how the failure of that pumping station, (coughs) he says it's imminent. Yeah. Imminent. And I'm going to read straight from his report because what he did with his report was he outlined the priorities, but then he said, this is what (coughs) happens if we don't fix it. Right. He said if the station fails in a period of high flow, so whenever there's, like, say, a lot of rainfall, the station would be inundated, if it fails, in two and a half hours and will discharge into the environment shortly thereafter. So all of that sewage will go right into the river. And what's crazy is that pumping station is right near the intake for our city's entire drinking water supply. Yep. So... There are a lot of issues that have just gone unaddressed for decades. Yeah, absolutely. And this is our chance to really hit the nail on the head in terms of casting the vision for these projects, but also to make a uh, an outsized impact that we might not have the chance to really tackle yep. in, in this yeah. way again. Yeah, if we were looking to do it from a, a budgetary or a CIP project, some of these projects we would not get to for years on end. And that's the important point here. Um, you know, I agree with you. And I think, you know, I like what you said, because I, I think the residents, in a lot of cases, you wouldn't understand these projects need to be done until they failed. And when they failed, it would be catastrophic in nature, right? And some of you, you know, I talk about Lowell Street, Shirley Ave, I think people understand that one. But you talk about the, the pumping station, uh, you're not going to understand that till you, uh, unless we God forbid, experience the problem, right? And let me be honest. Um, we're also chasing some infrastructure money. You know, I'm submitting some of these projects for um, Senator Warren, Senator, um, who am I forget, Warren, uh, Markey, and Congressman Trahan. They asked for our priorities. And so these DPW projects are the ones we're sending in, right, including a $9.75 million project for the Methuen Arlington neighborhood to separate the water sewer, right, to pull apart the water sewer, because uh, whether you know it or not, it's costing the city of Methuen money. We're pumping clean water through Greater Lawrence Sanitary District. That's one of the offsets of, of this Arlington Neighborhood Project. So um, 
don't think just because it's a specific neighborhood, it doesn't impact you, it does, right, in the chargebacks that come from GLSD, right? And so while we've been fairly fortunate and GLSD does a great job, um, you know, there's additional funds that are required uh, in our billing there because of how we're sending things. Through. We're sending water that shouldn't have to go through the sanitation district through there. So um, 7 o'clock start time. Um, I'm anxious to see the deliberation. Um, I did see the chair there using his Mr. Handicraft skills and putting together a whiteboard. Um, so I'm pretty pumped about how it's going to work. And um, it's open to the public, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And there's so, actually a public participation opportunity, too. All right. So you have another chance to come down and talk about the projects that you think are the most valid. Um, and there we'll have some sheets available to talk about which ones fall. Just remember what I said. So it's entirely possible to select 45 million dollars worth of compliant projects and not do anything with the revenue loss. If we do that, we won't be spending any mar money on like parks or tennis court or Forest Lake because those were deemed um, only tackleable if you use the revenue loss component of the program. So, um, but you know, I agree with the chair said. We, we, I use the term death of a thousand cuts of the one and that's because so much has been ignored for so long that we really we could have used twice the pot of money we got. So while I'm glad we got 46 and change, uh, we're after more with the infrastructure bill. We're trying to get more from uh, Congresswoman Chahan, Senator Warren, Senator Markey. And if we get it, we will absolutely let you know. But come down and let your voice be heard because um, it's going to be a fantastic process. Anything else you want to add, Mr. Chair? No, that covers it. Okay. How about you, Madam Caffo? Yeah, I'm good. Quiet as a church mouse over there? Mm -hmm. Comfy? All right. Um, Ralph Perez says, looks like we have a top priority, water. I agree with you, 1,000%, right? Um, and thank you for the blessing there, my friend. Appreciate that. He just wished me good luck in Spanish for my operation. All right. I got a couple of things I want to go through, and then we can come back and talk if we get some more questions. Um, let's see. We've got uh, the boat ramp is opening up. I think I sent the slide through. So did you guys get that one? Did I catch MCS off guard? Hello? Anybody out there? One minute? There's a good crowd shot of uh, Maggie, the chair, and myself. Keep talking, yeah. Stall, Mayor, stall. All right. Um, so uh, the Riverside Drive boat ramp is open for the season now. It's open daily from 5 a.m. to 9 p.m. No fooling, no kidding. It closes at 9 p.m. Right, and so we are going to monitor that. What? Riverside Drive boat ramp one. Yeah, there it is. So, um, um, so we've had problems in past years. So this is a state boat ramp. Um, please, please, dear God, listen to me. If you've got trash, put it in the barrel. Right, because one of the problems we've had is trash around this boat ramp. Right. People aren't allowed in there after 9 p.m. Uh, the police will patrol it, but use it. Go down. Um, use the river um, for water activities. I don't know about fishing, but boating, kayaking, canoeing. We just talked about CSOs. We said, hey, go fish in the river. But, um, you know, there, there's lots of things to do in the river, right? And it is, it is a great boat rep, and I know a lot of people use it. Uh, just respect the environment around it. That's the only thing I'd ask. 
The next thing I have is related to the Trash Advisory Committee. So um, as I told you, we're in the process of uh, looking at the RFP responses for trash, and there's uh, a couple different approaches. Um, so we, but we're looking for really passionate citizens who are interested in protecting the environment to serve in an advisory group to myself and to advise on issues related to solid waste, recycling, and various sustainability of issues. So let me tell you what I'm talking about here. And so we've reached out to the schools, and hopefully the schools are, are sending a message down through your, your children. We're looking for people to talk about a program of sustainability versus who gets the trash, right? So this is not about who, gets the, who wins the trash bid or who wins the recycle bid. This is how, how do we create a culture of cleanliness and sustainability in the city of Methuen. And uh, not lost on me is the fact that, you know, we, we used to have, um, and I'm trying to think, we used to give out T-shirts a long time ago when we did the cleanups. And I forget what they were called. Do you remember what they were called? Like Methuen on the Move. Methuen on the Move or something like that, right? And, and, and so as, as hokey as it may sound, we need a program that has many branches on it. One of the branches that Joe Cosgrove, who's the contact here, and he's passionate about it, is recycling, right? Teaching our residents about recycling. Recycling is not just paper and metal versus your regular trash. There are many different categories of recyclables. And there's benefit to you as a taxpayer, not just the city, into understanding what those are and us potentially breaking them out. Um, whereas if we continue to do them all together, uh, there's, we, we know the cost will rise over time. Um, there are other things that citizens need to be aware of. Like, you may not know that come November 1st, 2022, um, the state will no longer allow the pickup of mattresses. Right? You can drive down almost any street and see a mattress at the curb. Methuen is one of the few communities that still picks it up. Um, that will no longer be acceptable in the state come November 1st, 2022. So we have a grant that talks about how we get rid of mattresses in the interim. Um, and how we approach that long term is really a discussion for this, this advisory committee. What, what's the approach there? How do we do this? Um, education on the recycling I talked about, and how do we reduce our solid waste? So the Commonwealth would like to see Methuen reduce its solid waste by 30%. Just to give you an idea, we increased 25% during the pandemic. And so most of you would say, well, that makes sense because there were more of us at home than ever. And while that's true, um, we don't fare well when we compare to other communities. So we've got to stop this throw everything away mentality, right? And part of it is, you know, part of the discussion, I'll be honest with you, is do you restrict the amount of trash that people can give, get rid of on a given week, right? And how is that fair to people who have multi-tenant properties versus single property? All of those need to be factored into the decision of how we do it. This trash advisory committee will do education, will do communication, will be development of a program of sustainability and recycling that will help Methuen meet its goals going forward. And I can tell you, Joe Cosgrove is really passionate about it. So if you could put the slide back up, if you're interested, call Joe at 978-983-8563 or email him at jcosgrove at ci.methuen.ma.us and ask him questions. If you say, oh, I might be interested, but what's the time commitment? Talk to Joe, right? And he'll kind of guide you through it. But I want to make sure you understand, this is an overall sustainability program advisory, not which RFP should we take, right? 
that's going to come down to the council getting to select who the winner is in that bit. And then the last ad I bought before we come back to some questions is uh, Easter. We got our Easter egg hunt scheduled for Saturday, April 16th. I'm thrilled that we're able to back be outdoors and not have to do drive-throughs at the high school, um, even though that was great. So Saturday, April 16th, 11 a.m. at Great Court Park, we are going to have an Easter egg hunt, and we hope to see you there. All right, music, games, and candy. And I can tell you the rec department has done a fabulous job getting ready for this. Uh, so we hope to see as many of you there as possible. Um, okay, so that's kind of everything I had, but I did give you, did you keep the Binax one? So, I, I, you know, I keep wanting to show this chart on the, the COVID tests. So there are more tests available from the federal government. Even if you got two originally, um, you can go back out to the federal government and ask for them. You can go to your pharmacy. If you're covered by an insurance plan, your insurance plan will cover the uh, test kits free. Um, and we still have well over 3,500 test kits available in the city. So if you're in need of them, so let me, let me put a caveat on that. So if you're in need of them, if you suspect that you, you've contracted COVID and you need them, call our health department and we'll get them to you. Or if you um, haven't taken a couple from the city, please call the health department and we will get you the test kits because we've got plenty of them left. Like I said, there's, there's a shelf life on these products, so we want to give them away while they're still useful. All right. Um, let's see if we've got any more questions. Otherwise, I'll, I'll go back out to my fabulous guests. And uh, Oh, we got a question. Council Beauregard, what is your first choice for the APA funds? You're on the spot, on my the clock. First choice. So on my sheet, which I'm going to actually read off tonight or during the meeting, I gave all of my top 10 projects a five, which is the top score yep. that you could give. Um, it's really tough to say which one is the most important. I think um, there are a few that one might not suspect would be at the top of, say, an ARPA list. Like one of them is the provision of rental and mortgage assistance, yeah. that program. I think that, you know, for me, when I look at a, something like that, yes, this is once-in-a-lifetime money, but I think using it to make those longer-term investments, but also meet the needs of your people now yeah. is critical because yeah. people need relief now. So I think there's an opportunity with that. There's an opportunity with the fire department. Uh, they're looking for uh, the self-contained breathing apparatus, yeah. uh, new, uh, I guess, infrastructure for that because the concern is cancer yeah. a risk among yeah. firefighters. That's huge. Uh, so there is something like that that's not a multi-million dollar project, yeah. but it's very high on the priority list. Uh, the uh, new DPW building is something yeah. that's coming yeah. up. Um, and, and also, I think the water and sewer infrastructure projects are absolutely key. The Burnham Road pumping station, the Lowell Street and Shirley Ave drain, yep. um, the 213 project, yeah. the water main uh, in that area is critical to deal with that. Yeah. Um, I think there's an opportunity for the schools with uh, nine branch streets. So, you know, again, how do you pick, yeah. you know, the top yep. Um, I, I don't really have a top pick, but I think uh, there's a very clear uh, list of priorities in my mind that have come to the top, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, and I think I, I, you know, I empathize with that because uh, I think some of them are such competing priorities that it's hard to say what's more important than 
you know, one thing's more important than another, mm. right? So it's all how you – I guess for me, you know, the important part is that we're going to come out with a, you know, a, a democratically selected priority list uh, that we've got to take a look at, like I said earlier, then go into talks about how do you execute now, right? Because the step after this, to remind you, would be – so tonight the council will say, okay, here's the projects, um, and hopefully we do a little bit more than 10, um, but, you know – Okay, then we've got to look at them and say, okay, you know, you had three water sewer projects. How many of these can we sustain at once, right? What's the offset to kind of in the interim, right? And so um, even from a, a perspective, you know, I, I want the residents watching tonight to because, again, uh, while we told the department heads that they don't have to come to the meeting, we told them stay close to your phones, right? And we did that so that if there are any additional questions that come out of the council, We'll just call them on the phone and say, okay, explain a little bit more about why this. Because um, I think, to your point, they did a very good job last week. Um, but um, almost too good in some perspectives, right? Because now you I want to do them all, right? And I can sit here and tell you we can't do them all because we just don't have enough money to do them all. So, um, you know, it's, it's important what you think, the citizens, because we're trying to get to the priority projects that will address the, uh, the quality of life. And I go back to the point that even in some cases where you may not realize it, um, like the Burning Road pump station, um, you wouldn't know that till it failed. And then your quality of life would be tremendously impacted, negatively. So um, it's a good process. I'm glad to have you both on the show. Um, um, I wanted to take one minute, Maggie, if you don't mind, and and talk a little bit about Munis. Um, so um, we are, and, and many people may not know this, so we've got probably, I think it's seven, if I remember correctly, different financial systems across the city of Methuen, different. Oh, yeah. 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 And so um, I want to explain a little bit about the difficulty of uh, Maggie's job currently is trying to extract information from multiple systems and then putting together a monthly report that, you know, tells council, here's where we are. And so I'm going to sit there and tell you, we'll be in the black again at the end of this year. Watch Maggie cringe. Um, we will <laughs> be in the black at the end of the year. Um, but um, that's no easy task, not lost on me. So uh, with Council's blessing, uh, we committed to a contract to implement a system called MUNIS. I have no idea what MUNIS means. I can't think of it now. Um, lots of municipalities use it. It's an overall HR, um, you know, treasury assessors, financial accounting system where you um, literally, <clears throat> an employee could look at Munis um, and see how much accumulated sick time they have, how much accumulated vacation time. We can't even get that from one system today. We get that from multiple systems, right? So police has one system, fire has another system, and all of that has to be kind of hand-broken. I want to give you – so that is um, – Really, again, in a different sense, um, you know, as a council and as an administration, we have furthered our infrastructure. But I want to kind of explain that, you know, Munis is the next big step because um, it brings multiple systems together and makes it easier to get that information readily available to you and to the council. And so that facilitates that process. Um, but that's a very difficult process for us. And the timeline for Munis. Uh, and I think I shocked Councilor Ziegler the other night when she, I said, well, we won't be finished till the beginning of January 2024. 
And I think people who haven't participated in large-scale system conversions were like, oh, my God, you know, that's a long way out. But there's many steps, right? So I don't know if we want to elaborate on that. So. Sure. So, so this is, um, just to add to what you said, this is a um, all-inclusive uh, system. So right now uh, the finances for the city uh, are completely separate from the finances for the school department. Um, and so that's probably the biggest piece of, of um, making that crossover is getting them all in the same place. Uh, we don't currently have an HR system other than Excel documents and things of that nature. This will be able to facilitate all of that through uh, HR and payroll, so it will go right through. Um, it's really going to streamline uh, and integrate all of our processes and really be able to get things done quicker. Yeah. De uh, you know, uh, approvals right now are three-part forms and physical paper and um, all of the uh, approvals going forward would be electronic, so we'll really be able to, to just move. Um, and it's pretty incredible to watch now. It's very overwhelming, don't get me wrong, because we're, you know, in, in meetings, I think this week, Monday through Thursday, we have nine to four every day, you know, meetings with Tyler Technologies, learning about the different systems and everything. And while it is overwhelming, um, I'm just I'm giddy with excitement because of all the things that, you know, even the things I already knew that we could do, there's other things that we could do that are just going to be so critical in moving us forward. It's, it's going to be amazing. But there's an incremental conversion, right? There so, is. So, yeah. so there's five phases yeah. of this project um, because it is so big and because it is bringing so many different modules together, uh, including utilities and including treasury. And um, the biggest piece of the project is the finance and the HR modules. So those are the two. That's phase one and phase two. That's what we're currently working on right now. Um, we are literally, we need to have nine to 12 months of, of meetings that really put it all together, the back end, the front end. Then there's the training of power users. Then there's the training of the front end users. Then it's go live and run parallel to what we're currently doing. So it, it really is an extensive process that I just have to keep telling people it's going to be worth yeah. it. It's going to be worth it. Yeah. Um, so right now, phase one and two are set to go live July 1, 23. So that's this coming, not July, I'm sorry, January, this coming January. Uh, we picked January because really for W-2 reasons, um, because it's it's right after the calendar year. Yeah. So really you want to, with things like this, you want to do it at, you know, either the end of the fiscal year, or the end of the calendar year. So um, so that's where our go-live date is. It's aggressive, but we're um, excited, and we're moving forward with that. Once those two modules are in, and that's probably 75% of what we're doing, um, then we also have utility phase that we're going to be bringing water, sewer, uh, billing, and everything into Munis. So that'll be seamless. Um, and there's a couple of other smaller pieces that we're going to be bringing in. But um, ultimately, we should be done by f in the next two years, two and a half years, um, I have a timeline as well uh, that we're going to that we have that we're kind of trying to check off as we go, but um, it really is going to be critical and it's going to be such an amazing tool that that we'll be able to use. Yep. So we got a couple questions. So Ed Quinn said, "There's nothing more important than the children of this town." So I think the school on Branch Street should be the top on the area list. Thank you for that, Ed. Appreciate that. And Nancy Ridden, she, she's camera person and question asker. <laughs> she's all right. Would you consider a fee-free day at the dump? Yes, I would. Um, 
I want to know where to get back. So I want to talk about we quickly before we sign off. So we've raised the we've changed the fees at the dump, and I want to be honest with you, that's to protect you, the citizens, because we hadn't changed them in 15 years. Uh, we were losing money on every single tire uh, that we got, um, but um, I would be open to it if we build it into that culture that says don't dump stuff on the side. So I'd want somebody like that coming out of the Trash Advisory Committee saying uh, one day every spring and one day every fall we do a fee-free dump at the, the transfer station in return for neighborhoods committing to some kind of cleanup, right? And so, uh, because I think it's incumbent on us all. And then the last thing, uh, we had a great meeting the Chief and I did today, Chief McNamara, with the interfaith leaders at the Riverside Assembly of God, and I want to thank them for hosting it. We had a great meeting and a great discussion, and we talked about the camera program, and I want to remind the citizens, uh, we are happy to come to neighborhoods, the Chief and I, and talk about the camera program. Uh, we are expecting the placement of the first five cameras at the end of this month. Um, that's far quicker than even the mayor anticipated, which is good news. Um, I want to make sure we address your questions. We're not going to invade your civil rights. They won't be monitored 24-7. They're there. If something happens, we can go back to the cameras. But I would say to anybody who's watching who knows an illegal dumper, tip them off because the cameras will be catching illegal dumping too. I'm not going to go into where they're going to be placed, but uh, we're going to take a look at the cameras. And when we see illegal dumping, and I say this candidly, you know, we come in on Mondays, there's a room full of furniture at Havel Street next to the Y, and it staggers me. I'm not talking about a chair. I'm talking about a room full of furniture left at the, the clothing dump or a baka lounger left in the middle of Route 110. You can laugh about that, but when they called, the mayor had to get in the car and go see it for himself to believe it, and there it was, a cruddy old brown baka lounger sitting in the middle of Route 110. That's not the way to get rid of stuff, right? So that's the culture we've got to address. Volunteer for the spring cleanup. That's how the volunteer Saturday, season. April 23rd. The, the sign-up's online. Okay. On so sign up online. Uh, we're looking for youth groups. We're looking for all kinds of community involvement that day. The more hands, the merrier. The cleaner our community, the more we respect it all. I want to thank uh, Council Chair D.J. Beauregard. I had a little trouble with the name there. <laughs> and uh, Maggie Dupre, our outstanding CAFO, for coming on the program. Watch the ARPA meeting tonight, and we'll be back here next Wednesday. God bless you all, and stay healthy.